right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. No comment from Nick. Okay, hey. there we go. Delayed hey. comment from Nick. Uh, we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery on today's episode of the show. And we're going to be joined by the voice of the Jayhawks coming up at 5.05. We've got all sorts of audio to get to you today from... Parker Brown, who spoke with the media. We're going to hear from Dan Fitzgerald, KU Baseball, coming up here in a little bit. we got some Chiefs audio to get to, some KU Women's Basketball audio, so plenty with that coming up. But we're going to start things off right now with some fun with numbers. Fun with what? Fun with numbers, KU Basketball oh, edition. Nice. All right, so uh, I have updated lineup numbers, mm. which I think you shared some of these either a week or two ago when I was out. But these are updated. So uh, I only wanted to look at the three main lineups. At this point, Jamari McDowell is not playing enough to, to continue to be like, okay, what does that look like? Wow. Let's just that's look kinda, at the main three lineups. That's kind of disrespectful, I think. The main three lineups are, all of them feature Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson, and K.J. Adams. It's just, who is the third guy? Is it Nick Makes Timberlake? Sense. Is it Omarco Jackson? Well, is it Johnny Furphy? fifth guy. Yeah, sorry, fifth guy. <laughs> uh, which of those three, right? And obviously there's some lineups where they're playing Parker Brown as a backup five, but like, I don't know. That's so limited, it's it's not even worth going into. Okay, so here's the the lineup of the core four, so to call them, with El Marco Jackson. They have a 112.50 rating and a 95.6 D rating. So what those are is basically that's points per 100 possessions when that lineup is on the floor uh, and points allowed per 100 possessions when they're on the floor. And to get net rating, you just subtract defensive rating from offensive rating. That makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So it's a plus 16.9. The lineup with Furphy as the fifth man has a 125.90 rating. So that's about 14 points per 100 possessions better than the El Marco lineup. And uh, actually, Sheesh. this one is, is I found a little bit surprising, 89.5 D rating compared to the El Marco lineup, which is 95.6. That's even six points better. Overall, the lineup with Furphy is a plus 36.4 net rating compared to the plus 16.9 for Omarco. So you're 20 points better per 100 possessions there. Yeah, and I the mean, last one okay, is uh, Timberlake. That one actually has the best O rating, 128.6, just a little better than the Furphy lineup. But you lose out big time on the defense. It drops down to 109.1. Overall, though, the net rating is actually better on the Timberlake lineup, plus 19.5 than the Omarco lineup, though. Yeah, so basically with these ratings, you want – as high of an offensive rating as possible, and as the lower the defensive rating, mm-hmm. the better. Uh, well, the one with El Marco, I think, is the, the sort of the talk with El Marco and and Johnny Furphy starting has been well, El Marco when he's in can offer you a little bit better defense. That's not exactly reflected by these numbers collectively, right? Now with El Marco, you might be getting better one on one defense, maybe yeah. in certain situations. I guess like El Marco be. can stay in front of a player a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would be. But the, you know the what point else matters would... to defense? Length. Uh, 
length. You know what else size, matters to defense? Rebounding. You know, defensive rebounding. Because you can't actually get a stop till you get the rebound. And and those things are improved. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you either get a stop by getting a defensive rebound or by a turnover or yeah. steal. So you're eliminating one of those scenarios if you can't get a rebound. Right. So I think you would but I mean, even still, I think you'd probably expect the rating with El Marco to be a little bit better. Oh, I do uh, for sure, yeah. So I don't know. Do you read into that as okay? Well, maybe the sort of reaction of well, you need El Marco out there for defense. Is that is that overblown? Like, does Johnny Furphy's offense is that more important than what El Marco adds on defense, even a little bit? Even though actually the numbers reflect that it's not the case. Sure, I I think it's interesting. Uh, maybe we need more time on on the lineups with Johnny Furphy in there. It's still only been four starts. Uh, whereas Marco had plenty more than that, he would have. I mean, how many games did they played? Nineteen at this point. Fifteen, right? yeah. So yeah, he would, fifteen starts. Um, or I guess did Timberlake start a game early in there? Whatever it would be, fourteen, fifteen starts. I think it's fifteen. Yeah. Okay, it's 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 bigger there. So, so maybe that you know those two things kind of switch a little bit. And also early in the season, I don't think El Marco was as good defensively as he is now. He's doing a better job staying in front of guys. Probably true. But it it's also. You know, it's, it's a team-based stat, so the team actually defending better with him on the floor. Maybe part of that is who you've been playing against. Maybe part of that is it allows different matchups. It makes you more switchable. Like, uh, like even if El Marco is better at staying in front of guards, you know, Furphy is going to be more versatile in terms of being able to defend threes and fours just because of the height, right? So maybe that's part hmm. of it. I don't know. But I, I do think it is very telling, like, how big of a difference it is with Furphy in there versus those other two lineups. And it's it's not crazy to think that Kansas has one of the best starting fives in the country. Oh, easily. I mean, even before Johnny Furphy became what he has become over the last four games, when it was El Marco starting, you probably still would have said that KU has one of the best starting fives in the country even then. Mm-hmm. And now you feel like they've improved with Furphy quite a bit, especially on offense. So, yeah, even with those four guys, even with the other four on just by themselves with El Marco in there, you felt like you had a top starting lineup in the country. And now you add in Furphy, who has been playing really well, which elevates that entire lineup even higher to where, yeah, I think that is the case. I think KU has one of the better starting lineups in the country. I mean, you've got, you've got two legitimate Big 12 Player of the Year candidates and two guys that are probably going to be on National Player of the Year watch list with McCuller and, and Dickinson. You've got the Swiss Army Knife, K.J. Adams, that can really do it all except shoot jumpers, uh, which he's, he's doing a little more of, though. Can't shoot threes, though. But uh, he can. he's an incredible athlete, can do so much. And uh, you've got the idea of Dewan Harris as this elite facilitating point guard who's great on defense. Even though he hasn't necessarily played to that level, you have that idea, and you have seen him play at that level previously. And then you throw in, you know, an explosive freshman who we thought was going to be El Marco Jackson, but it turns out it's it's Johnny Furphy because of his shooting ability and what he can do with his length and, and everything else. So that's a pretty good lineup, right? You've got two veteran players who are really, really elite scorers, one at the center position, one on the wing. And then you've got a that guy in KJ Adams that can do it all, You've got a great facilitating point guard who plays great defense, hypothetically. I mean, he, he can. We've seen him do it. And then you throw in a guy, which again, we thought this might be on Marco, but then you, you throw in a young player who is very dangerous in transition and can be explosive and is in 
by virtue of playing with the other four guys, is allowed to play more freely and more open and more aggressively, can be very, very dynamic. And and again, with El Marco, that's kind of what we were expecting, is he could come in and not have a lot of pressure on him because he's he, because of playing with the other four guys, and he could demonstrate everything that he is really, really good at, but it's pretty clear that El Marco, there's, there's some mental blocks there for him, right? He, maybe he's thinking too much. Maybe he's, the, the game is going a little too fast for him, whatever, whatever reason or the other. And with Furphy, that doesn't seem to be the case. Furphy seems, seems to be able to embrace that role of playing more freely and really just focusing on his role and doing what he does best uh, in terms of creating opportunities for himself and for the other players around him. So, again, when you look at that starting lineup, it checks all the boxes of what you would want in a starting lineup, right? Really great point guard that can distribute the ball very well. You've got a big man that is really dangerous off pick and roll and can score from just about anywhere on the floor, including from three. You've got uh, that elite shot maker, elite clutch shot maker with Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, and then you throw in Furby. That's a that that checks all the boxes of a starting lineup that you would want to have going into March, does it not? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it, it almost makes it more frustrating that you can't even just have like one guy off the bench who's just like reliable. You know what I mean? Because that that's yeah. all you would need, I think. Realistically, like uh, just one guy, just one guy, and you would feel a lot better there. Yeah. Uh, well, and obviously, in and you've you've touched on this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at this lineup and you consider Big Twelve play, this may be a team that is not built as well for regular season Big Twelve conference play as they might be for the postseason, because of the fact that they don't have that depth. And when you're playing two games a week in the Big Twelve, it's going to be tough when you don't have a ton of depth and you're asking guys to play a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Kansas is not used to having that. Kansas is used to having a team that is dominant in the regular season and wins the Big 12. This may be a team in Kansas where they might end up as a two-seed or a three-seed, but they might actually be better equipped in the NCAA tournament than maybe previous iterations of Kansas teams that did win the Big 12, that did have strong regular seasons. It's a very different build, um, so I, I don't want to say like the game style is anywhere close to this team, but it's it's a little similar in terms of that 2018 team. I know that team ended up getting a one seed because they got hot at the end of the season and won a couple regular season games at the end and then won the Big 12 tournament and everything, but that, that 2018 team was not a great regular season team, and again, very different in how that team went about it and goes about it than this team. That one was you know three-point sharpshooting. This one is kind of pounded inside and everything. But, but that's kind of the comparison there. That one still made the Final Four, so that's good. Which uh, brings up this next one, because they're going to be a part of this next stat. Uh, these are Ken Palm adjusted efficiency rankings for KU compared to every year in Bill Self's time at Kansas. So this is season 21, correct? Season number for, 21 for, for Mr. Bill Self? Mr. Yes, Self? I believe that is correct. Yeah. So here is where right now, per Ken Palm, KU ranks in overall offense and defense compared to the bar that has been set by Bill Self at KU. Right now, KU is 29th in adjusted offense efficiency. That would be tied 17th among Bill Self offenses. So basically bottom five. Tied 17th with the 2007 team. Uh, the only ones that were worse, 2004, they were 38th. 2006 was 50th, and 2021 was 54th. Now, 2004 made an Elite Eight. 2006 lost in the first round. 2021 lost in the second round by a billion points. Defense right now is ranked 24th in adjusted defense efficiency. That would be tied 20th. So there's only, tied with the 2017 team, there was only one defense 
right now, based on where KU is ranked, that Bill Self has had that's been worse. It was that 2018 team, which was 47th. Hmm. Overall, they are 18th right now in Ken Palm. That would be tied 19th in Bill Self's 21 seasons at KU with 2004. The only ones worse, or the only one worse, was uh, 2021, which was 27th. So here you are in a situation where basically under Bill Self's time at Kansas, they have a bottom five KU offense, a bottom two KU defense, and a bottom three overall team. This right now is in contention by the metric sites for one of the worst teams that Bill Self has had at KU, which seems a little outlandish based on where they are in the AP poll and the record and everything. Yeah. But based on some of the metric sites, it is. And I, I, I will say there is some positive there. When, when I mentioned some of those other teams they're better in, like, okay, well, their defense is still better than 2018. They made a Final Four. The offense is still better than 2004. They made an Elite Eight. You know, you can easily dismiss that, but I think the difference there is... 2018, even though the defense was that, they were elite at offense. They had a calling card. They were fifth in offense. 2004 was 13th in defense. They were elite on the defensive end of the floor, especially as the season went on. It only got better and better. This KU team doesn't really have the one thing where they're like, we're yeah. absolutely elite at this. They're what, just kind of good at both. Yeah, what's what is their what's their calling card? Do they have one? Uh, I guess inside scoring? Inside presence, yeah. But even then, you run into certain teams where it's like, like a Cincinnati where Cincinnati beats you on the boards and Cincinnati takes away your interior presence because Hunter Dickinson gets in foul trouble and they have shot blockers and, you know, you can't space yeah, the floor. Because so I don't know. The, the thing is, is like, if you want to say that this team's calling card is inside scoring, that's really not true. It's mm -hmm. Hunter Dickinson is the inside scoring. Right. So if you take him away, then you don't, that's that's not what this team's calling card would yeah, be. Yeah, like, is that a calling card to just be like they have a good player? It's not. <laughs> it's not a team identity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there have been a lot of Bill Self teams that have been uh, sort of chameleon-esque in, in terms of they've been able, they could morph to play a lot of different styles and that allowed them to be successful against a lot of teams. Uh, and I don't know, is that the case with this team? It's kind of hard to say that, I guess, for sure. I mean, you did beat TCU in a game that was an up-and-down game. Uh, and you, you've I guess you've played a couple grinded-out games. But, again, I don't know. Is that really, is that really something... is like, do you want your calling card to be, yeah, we're pretty good at, like, a lot of things, but not really elite at anything? No, I don't think you want that to be your calling card. I mean, but again, in the NCAA tournament, having that be the case could be good enough for you to make a deep run. It, I, I mean, that's that's the weird thing when we're talking about NCAA tournament runs. There is no rhyme or reason one way or another, so I... I guess it doesn't dismiss really anything. Uh, by the way, here, here's interesting. Here's a list of, this goes back to the bench talk. Uh, here's the list of Bill Self players who have averaged 10 or more minutes per game and have shot 38% or worse from the field and 30% or worse from three in the same season. Junior Joe Yesifu, freshman Bryce Thompson, freshman Tristan Anaruna, freshman and 16-year-old Svima Kailuk, sophomore Charlie Moore, and both Nick Timberlake and Elmarco Jackson are doing it this season. That is kind of a problem when those are your Thanks. two highest minutes per game off the bench. Yeah. I mean, you have to assume Nick Timberlake's not going to keep doing that, right? I keep assuming, but it hasn't got better yet. I mean, at what point does it become, they are who we thought they were? Right. <laughs> Type situation, in a bad way, I guess, in this case. 
Yeah, I don't know. With Nick Timberlake, with Nick Timberlake man, I, I, I kind of talked about this, I think, maybe earlier in the week, about the, the idea that what I do like about Nick Timberlake is that it would seem as though, he listen, he was brought in to be a three-point sniper. That was kind of the thought process, right? Come in, you be a shooter. And that hasn't worked for him, obviously, up to this point in the season, really. But what I like about what Timberlake is doing is the fact that it doesn't seem like he's trying to force that part of his game. It feels like now he's saying, okay, well, I'm not doing well from three, but I'm not going to let that just be what defines my game. I'm going to you know, hustle and do the other things, and hopefully that will eventually get me out of my shooting funk, I guess. Don't let Wes Miller hear that, by the way. Wes Miller will come crash through the wall. You know not a funk. This is not a funk. Like the just Kool-Aid can't hit shots. When he hears the word funk. Yeah, he just bursts through. Oh, there's no, there's not a funk. It's not a funk. He just, just can't hit open shots. Yeah, that's kind of a funk. Yeah. My guy. With Alarco, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say that I have no hope, but <laughs> I don't see the path, I guess, at this point. I'm going to be very interested in if, if this continues the way it is for Alarco what our off-season discourse is going to be. Because I've this whole time operated under, I think he's going to be good long-term, but the more this goes on, you start to just be like, okay, this is, you know, what's going on here. Anyway, uh, here's some other Big 12 numbers of note. These are just numbers for KU in Big 12-only play. Johnny Furphy is averaging 11.8 points, 5.8 rebounds per game, over 70% from two, over 44% from three. Uh, We know he's been playing well. That's just kind of confirmation and some of the numbers put to it. Is Kevin McCuller the Big 12 player of the year front runner right now? He's averaging obviously really good numbers in in Big 12 only games. It's 19 5 and 5 on solid efficiency. Yeah, I mean, he has been very very good. Uh I think the issue you might run into with Kevin McCuller or Hunter Dickinson winning Big 12 player of the year is you look at Houston and with they have Jamal Shedd and LJ Cryer. And if they go on and maybe separate themselves and end up winning the league by one or even two games, right? I mean, it, I mean, what if they go fourteen and four and yeah. Kansas and there's like Kansas twelve and six, right? Like it will probably be tough to not give the award to one of those players. Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting because usually we see it go to a player on the winning team, but also like Houston, their style of play with more being a defensive team, they don't score a lot. They yeah, don't yeah, have it's funny because up like Cryer, totals, right? Cryer scores a lot, but he doesn't do anything, doing anything else. else. And then Shed is the opposite. He right, doesn't score points, a lot, but he does a lot of other assists, stuff. Assists, good re- like defender. I I don't I don't know. It might not go to them. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I do think Kevin McCuller. He's obviously in that discussion. I mean, he would you give it to Kevin or Hunter if you had to pick somebody from KU? Right now, today, I'd give it to I'd give it to Kevin. I agree. I think. Just in general, being a wing and, and being a really good defender is you just have more impact there. For what it's worth, Hunter is shooting sixty seven percent on two point shots in Big Twelve play, so that's kind of well. A good let me ask you this: with Hunter, his the do you think his block rate would affect negatively affect his ability to win? I mean, he's a center, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't have a particularly like eye popping block rate, does it get held against him? Yes. Well, you know what's interesting? If you look at uh, Evan Miyakawa's site, the defensive BPR number. Hunter Dickinson's second on KU. Kevin McCullers first. So like, I, I do think 
I know there is there is certain limitations for Hunter Dickinson defensively, especially as it pertains to the NBA level, which is why he's still I mean, in college, because he I struggles think, in space. Given the circumstances, he's been good. Yeah, and that's the thing. The college game in general, there's going to be less teams who can take advantage of it. If you were playing Oso Igadora, Igadero or, or whatever uh, every game, then yes, that would be problematic. But not many teams have that, you know? Yeah. So I, I think he's actually fine. He's a big body. He's going to do a good job like defending in the post. He's got long arms. Like That in college basketball is mostly enough. For what it's worth, though, this yeah. is kind of interesting. Hunter is down to just 7.8 rebounds per game in Big 12-only games, and he's at just 21.4% from three so far in Big 12 games. I feel like this is where we should uh, insert that soundbite of Bill Self saying, yeah, he, he, the numbers are fluky, right? It, yeah. He was like 70% from three in the first like 10 games of the season, and then Bill Self made that comment where he was like, yeah, I don't know. That's not going to keep up. Well, it appears as though that has happened. Now, for KU, unfortunately, it's bad, and you hope that he gets a little bit better and uh, maybe hits hits more higher than that rate, certainly. But that, that shouldn't be surprising, and I and I I think it's you would expect hundred or you would expect hundred Dickinson's rebounding numbers to probably go down a little bit going into Big Twelve play. I mean, I know we've kind of talked about how well there's not very many. Big 12 teams that maybe have a guy that can match up against Hunter Dickinson size-wise, night in and night out. But, you know, playing against Big 12 competition, it's naturally it's just going to be more difficult, right? Obviously. Yeah. So I don't think that should be that surprising. No, it's not. Just kind of interesting. And, and maybe even that tells you that there could be another a positive jump up the other way, like reversion back, you know? Possible. Rebound a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Dewan's at just 37% from the floor in Big 12 play. It's been rough for him. Need that to go up. And how about the, the, this is the last one here. Uh, this is a negative one. El Marco Jackson in Big 12 only games is at 16 minutes per game. He is averaging 1.3 points, 1.2 rebounds, 0.8 assists to 0.8 turnovers, and he's shooting 30% from the floor. That's not good. <laughs> I thought all along that El Marco would be a at least an upgrade over like Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesifu from last year, well, and the numbers, the numbers don't do reflect, not bear that out. Yeah, the numbers do not reflect that yeah, at I all. I thought that was going to be a low enough bar to clear. He seems like a, a faster version of Bobby right now. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that gets him figured. If El Marco can have just you, become like an average level Big 12 player, that's you, night and day for the bench. Oh, for sure. Have you checked to see what Bobby's been up to? What, what's he been cooking up at East Carolina? That's a wonderful question. I know he hit that one like, it was like a... Yeah, he had a game winner, right? To like yeah. win the game, right? That was back yeah. in the non He is averaging, uh, would you like to guess what he's averaging for East Carolina? Um, I don't know if East Carolina is very good. They're 10 and 10. They're okay. Six points per game. 8.2 points per game. Okay. 3.7 assists. He's shooting 45%. But, I mean, I'm assuming, he's a, I'm assuming he's a starter. Honestly. 31 for I mean, I don't, three. I don't I'm not know. watching East Carolina basketball. I don't know. He just had eight points, five rebounds against Wichita State in a disgusting fifty-four to fifty-two victory. Yeah, Wichita State is terrible. Yeah. I mean, those boys <laughs> dick. Yeah, right. not good. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to uh, the Jim Harbaugh news. Could it have any impact on KU? That coming up on the other side. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Sports of the Jayhawks. Brian Haney hops on with us at five o'clock. We'll recap the KU women's basketball game coming up on the other side. Got plenty of audio to get to you on the show today as well. This happened yesterday, uh, right after the show. That Jim Harbaugh, who is the Michigan coach, leaving Michigan to accept the head coaching job with the Los Angeles Chargers. Mm. I can understand. I mean, there were a lot of openings in the NFL this year. From his standpoint, you know, I don't know. One of the easiest coaching decisions I feel like is just. If you're picking between NFL teams, who has the best quarterback? You know, Justin Herbert, obviously, good quarterback. So uh, he yeah, decides right. to go there. I would say from uh, just real quick from the NFL perspective, from the Chiefs, 
This obviously makes the AFC West harder. I, I do think Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. I mean, even when he was in the NFL, like, think about it. He went to, what, two AFC championship games or with the NFC. 49ers? NFC, NFC. sorry. Uh, he went to a Super Bowl, which they lost in the Lights Out game, which who knows? We could get a rematch of that Super Bowl this year. Um, but he's just a really good football coach in general. Enough so that I believe, as as messed up as that Chargers franchise has been, and I'm not no. quite going to go to the standpoint of like, oh, they're going to win the division that we see every year. I'm just saying I think he will make them a competent football team that will be a playoff team. And it honestly would not surprise me when you pair Jim Harbaugh with Justin Herbert if at some point they did make a Super Bowl. So the issue with the thought process on like, oh, the Chargers are going to be good now mm-hmm. is they this the team that the Chargers have, they're way – too old and way too expensive. I'm not like, saying they right have a away. lot of I'm not terrible, one. terrible contracts and situations they yeah, have, that and, you're gonna have to figure out. And obviously that'll be a problem in year one. I do think sometimes that can get a little overblown because I I think if the Chargers just cut like two guys, they might be able to get under it. And I was looking like the Rams. The Rams were that situation this past year. They they were so over the cap they had no draft picks, and all of a sudden good coach, good quarterback, they figured it out enough so to where they could at least be a playoff team. I'm not saying that'll happen in year one for the Chargers, but I I think Harbaugh's a good enough coach by year two, year three. That'll be a lot of good contention with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. But I I do think this becomes interesting for the possible KU impact as well. Possible. So I think every report you saw or national college football reporter or from just every indication is that Michigan is just going to promote from within. That their offensive coordinator, Sharon Moore, is just going to get the head coaching job. And Moore beyond doing a good job as the offensive coordinator there at Michigan, was the interim coach when Jim Harbaugh had to sit out all those games for the suspension. Beat Ohio State. Beat Ohio State. Strong more beat Ohio State. And he made hey, some like— how many years did it take Jim Harbaugh to beat Ohio State? took a while. What, like six or seven years? It took Strong like more that. two games. Yeah. Three games. And, I mean, he, he wasn't just like, oh, going through the motions. He made some difficult, like, fourth-down decisions along the way that I'm sure drew the respect and everything of, of the guys there. So that's my estimation that he's going to get hired. If that does not happen. So basically, back away from the cliff. Mm-hmm. That's Leipold's fine. I'm not overly concerned about it. But yeah. if it does not happen, is at least interesting to bring up that I'm sure Lance Leipold would be on the short list of candidates that would call. Could or they, they would call and try to interview. And could be. that would be a, a job that I don't think you could turn down, I guess would be the way of putting it. They just won the national championship. Well, I mean, let's see. Turn down the national runners-up. The next step would be yeah, the, national the national champions. champions. Right? But it's like the thing is with Washington and Michigan is like Washington went no obviously in those the are national two title. vastly different programs exactly. In terms of we might not ever see Washington play for a national title in football during our lifetimes again. It's Michigan possible. probably will, you know. Oh yeah. So it is different. So if that happens, it becomes problematic. I'm just not expecting it to go there. I will say one thing of interest. Hypothetically, in a world where they decided to hire externally, let's say in a hypothetical world they did hire Lance Leipold, I actually think Sharon Moore would be like on the top tier of candidates for KU at that point. Because guess what? He's from Kansas. Hmm. I didn't know that. Offensive coordinator Michigan. So they just trade if it happens, you know? But no, I, I, I don't think you have to worry too much. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it Back is something. Back away from the cliff. Only if Sharon Moore does take not get your, hired internally. Take you your start. finger off the panic yeah. button. Relax. Yeah. It's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, I think going back to the to the Jordan Peterson thing, and even, like, with Kalen DeBoer going to Bama and the domino effects, like, I still think it's more likely that Kansas could be losing it as position coaches before they lose Lance Leipold in the next 
six to 12 months. Yeah. Well, and, and that's also part of the beauty, though. If they do hire internally with Sharon Moore, you would think They'd a probably lot just of those hires staff. are. Yeah. Then again, does Harbaugh take anybody with him to the NFL? That could also uh-huh. happen. And then what, what happens from there, right? So, yeah, I mean, th- there could be, you know, other ripple effects that we haven't even thought about yet, right? Who yeah. knows? Maybe there's positive ripple effect. What if player transfers now for Michigan because Jim Harbaugh is not there and he says, hey, Cornell Wheeler, you're having fun at Kansas. You were at Michigan. I'm yeah. going to follow you or I don't know. Whatever. Detroit Pipeline, baby. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kansas has established that. They can't hurt. Yeah, they have. Can't hurt. Yeah. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's uh, recap the KU women's basketball game coming up on the other side. It was a big win last night over Iowa State. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. We'll get to some Kansas City Chiefs conversation and audio coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Also going to break down a little bit of the Kansas State-Iowa State game last night. Kansas playing Iowa State on a Saturday, so common opponent there. But also uh, some kind of funny things happened in the game, so we'll talk about that later in the show. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, going to hop on with us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour to talk some KU basketball with Brian, and then we'll get to some KU audio. Parker Brown spoke with the media earlier today. We also have some KU baseball audio. As I believe KU baseball is the number one JUCO recruiting class in the country back-to-back years. Wow. And they also have some good transfer portal pickups. So Dan Fitzgerald's going to talk about uh, or, or has been at these uh, press conference some of the roster additions they've made and what's kind of going on there. Uh, by the way, before we get into this KU women's basketball recap, we were talking a bit about this off-air earlier today. Yeah. Apparently the Carolina Panthers hired Dave Canales Yep, the offensive coordinator for, for the Tampa uh, Bay. Buccaneers. Yeah, what the heck, man? Bad. So hire. The, these were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tell me if these these are like rankings of a guy who it's like we gotta hire this guy. <laughs> these were the, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive rankings this year. Points scored, twentieth. Yards, twenty third. First downs, twenty fifth. Net yards per attempt passing, fourteenth. Total rushing yards, 32nd. Rushing touchdowns, 28th. Rushing yards per attempt, 32nd. Yeah. Turnover just, percentage, uh, 19th. Does not make a whole lot of sense, but nothing the Panthers have done over the last two years now has made a lot of sense. Uh, so the worst franchise gets worse, I think. I mean, think about it. Like, if you're the Panthers, did you not try to call up Mike Vrabel? You're not trying to call up Bill Belichick. There's, I mean, there's, there's good coaches to be had out there. What are we doing? Yeah, this is one of those situations where their owner, David Tepper, yeah, he's a clown. He and he's one of those owners who wants to be like super involved. Yeah, he thinks he's smart, but he than doesn't else. know what he's doing. That he yeah. he made a ton of money doing something. And he's like, oh well, I'm really smart. I'll figure it out. But sometimes it always doesn't work in the NFL. Yeah, dude. I mean, that- I think as an if you're an owner, if I was if I somehow came across enough money to become an owner of any in any sport. Football, basketball, baseball, whatever. You know what I would do? I would hire a bunch of other guys and say, "You do it, and I'm just going to stand here and make the money." Because that's what that's how it should be. 
I'm gonna make the money and root for the team. It's that easy. Yes. But in in like Jerry Jones has gotten a lot of crap for that. Um at the very least though, Jerry Jones at least like has done a good job at it in some way. Like, yes, probably too much power, but like at least he's done really well with some of their personnel. Like they always have dudes on the team. David Tepper just really bad at his job. And now you're hiring uh, that's such a bad hire. Anyway, whatever. Uh okay, KU women's basketball beats Iowa State 60 to 58. Low scoring game. They won a defensive slugfest with Iowa State. Which yeah, honestly, this was an ugly game. I mean, that that worked out to KU's favor. We talked coming into the game that Iowa State had a really good three point shooting team. They shot a lot of threes. They were one of the more efficient offenses, and KU was able to to certainly slow them down. Yeah, uh, I think if KU was going to win, this was the type of game they yeah. probably wanted to play. An uglier kind of grinded out game. That's what they got. Yeah, and they they really limited them inside. Iowa State's got the one really stud center, and she had a, yeah. a nice game. But outside of her, Iowa State shot close to forty percent on two point shots, and Kansas shot fifty four percent on those shots. Neither team got going from three. Lower tempo game, which is more to the liking of Kansas. Uh, Holly Kerskeeter scored zero points, and yeah. Kansas won the game. Tyana Jackson had just nine points and fouled out. I mean, that's been one of the problems this year, so you hope that gets you know figured out moving forward. But make no mistake, this win was about Kansas's defense more than anything, and I think that's yeah. a good sign. We mentioned this yesterday because uh, the defense had not been clicking lately, which is odd because you go back to their two previous seasons, and specifically last year. Last year, Kansas' defense was really good, and when they won the NIT, that entire run, their defense was spectacular. And so far this year, it hadn't been the case. On the season... Kansas is only in the 43rd percentile in defensive rating. So, so far this year, they have statistically been a below-average defense, but you played really good defense against a good offense here, even with you know some foul trouble to your stud center on the inside. I think the hope is that this is you turning the corner because for Kansas to be a more consistent, better team that can go and win on the road in some of these games and can start turning things around, I think the defense has to be the cornerstone. Yeah, and this was a game that, we felt was kind of a must win, right? You're sitting at nine and nine, you lose your below 500. And it's just, it's one of those things where being below 500 versus not just feels like a huge, a huge deal, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to stay above 500 and go 10 and nine, win at home against an Iowa state team that actually came into the game as, as second of the big 12 uh, in, in conference play. So they had been pretty good to start conference play. Kansas coming off two tough losses against top 10 teams on the road you needed a bounce back, and you found a way to get it done. And this women's team, in a lot of ways, to the men, has been similar in the sense of they have a pretty strong starting lineup, but they haven't really had much go beyond that. Well, this is a game where you didn't get a lot of production from your starting lineup. Like you mentioned, uh, Kirk Skeeter scores zero points, only get nine from Tyana Jackson. But uh, they still found a way to, to pull together and grind out uh, a, a good win, really. Yeah, and I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where it's – it's both encouraging and a little bit frustrating. Like, it's encouraging because, like you said, you're trying to turn this around and, and there is that nice boost of, of feeling like you're above 500, which is absolutely true. It's also a little bit frustrating that you see Kansas beat Iowa State, who, uh, even after the loss, historically, is third. Yeah, and historically they've been very good. Yeah, right? and it's been very good. Um, you, you know, beat Baylor by 21 points at home, a team who's, who's ranked 13th and uh, currently is is fifteen and three on the season, right? Like you, when you played in in that tournament in the Cayman Islands, you only lost to UConn by eight. You only lost to Virginia Tech by one. You see some of these results against the better teams, and you're like, 
Okay, it is there. It is there, but you're just not finding it consistently. You're not finding it on the road. That's been a struggle for Kate. Right now, Kansas is eight and one at home. They're one and six on the road. Yeah. And then that leaves them one and two on neutral court. So overall two and eight in just away from home. And that's weird because normally you would think a more veteran team would, you know, kill it on the road in some of those situations. Or be more successful. Yeah. So I guess yeah. the 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 two sides of that is the one side is, well, this has been a bit disappointing. The other side of that is because you still feel like you have that potential, there's no reason you can't turn it around. Yeah, I think the, the problem you're going to run into, and uh, I think you, you mentioned this once before when we were talking about the situation with KU, is the problem you're going to run into is it's, it may end up being too little too late, mm -hmm. right? You may start to get things clicking here in the next month or so, but you're already at 10 and 9. So, you know, you're looking at needing to win a significant amount of your games coming up to even have an outside shot at making the NCAA tournament. Otherwise, you're going to be looking at probably trying to make another WNIT run, right? Which, given given the expectations for the team coming into the season, which were not only to make the NCAA tournament, but to try to host, that ain't happening. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, could, you, could this team stomach another WNIT trip instead of making the NCAA tournament. I don't know. Well, I mean, right now at 10 and 9, like there's there's not even a guarantee that happens, right? I mean, if you finish below 500, I don't think you're getting yeah. into the NIT, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Well, here's the upcoming schedule. It's uh, verse, or it's at Oklahoma coming up, which they're second in the Big 12. Then it's versus BYU. They're in the back half at TCU. TCU's having to deal with some injury stuff. They had to forfeit a game versus Houston. So, I mean, after the Oklahoma game, the schedule lightens up a bit. This is their chance to hit that run. Had a chance to hear after the game from a couple of their players, Samaya Nichols, who had an excellent game once again, and Zakiya Franklin. Here's what the two of them had to say after KU's win over Iowa State. You guys obviously played the Cyclones not too long ago. Um, what was different this time as opposed to the last time where you uh, I just think we were more aggressive on the defensive end. Uh, we kind of took what we did over there in Ames in the first quarter and we put it together for a whole game. So I just think overall just aggressive ball pressure. Uh, it was a little hard on them to, I guess, get skip threes and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. Basically just sticking to the scouting report, listening to whatever we have to do. Your guys' largest lead was five and theirs was four, so no one team really pulled away. What do you think it was that kind of sealed the deal for you guys in this one? I feel like we had the momentum. Um, <clears throat> of course, they were scoring. Uh, just because the team scored does not mean they had the momentum. Uh, we had the energy. Uh, we never let up. We were just, I feel like, the most determined team. So, Maya, I mean, you and Addie Brown have probably had a couple of matchups or at least been able to talk throughout the year. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the Big 12 freshman class has come in and then tonight with Audie and Addie? Mm -hmm. um, I think the Big 12 freshmen are really good. I'm, I mean, there's a killer, I feel like, on every single team. And um, Iowa State's freshmen, both of them, I give them full credit. They're great players. Um, and, I mean, it was great going against them tonight. But we did win. <laughs> this is the second game in a row where you guys have found a lot of success driving into the paint even without Tiana. So what do you think it is about this group of players that kind of just allows you to do that team-wide? Uh, I just think everyone is able to, you know, be aggressive and just get in the lane, uh, whether it's creating our own shots or just creating for each other. Uh, we preach that all the time in practice. Uh, so I just think that's what it is, really. Mm -hmm. I just think we're a very versatile team. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you stop one thing, you can't stop another. 
And then just how did Tiana's aggressiveness on defense kind of impact the team as a whole? She really shut down Adi in that first half and kind of was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, she made Adi take uh, really tough shots, which helped in our favor. Yeah, I agree. She did a great job on her. Um, I think she was playing through a lot of frustration, too, uh, mm-hmm. as far as calls and stuff like that. But I think she was uh, able to, you know, get it done on the defensive end, and that was able to work out in our favor. So, What about the nine? You know, being able to come in and having, you know, some, some up and downs, but definitely making it much more difficult mm-hmm. than I think many people thought. Yes. Um, I mean, personally, I think she did great. Uh, She came in. She came in uh, for Twin to take her spot real quick. And, of course, she gave up a couple fouls. But, I mean, those are good fouls. Sometimes we need people on the bench to foul for us, honestly. What do you think it's going to take to sustain these kind of results on the road? Uh, I just think just going on the road and just being us. Uh, we've talked about how there's really no difference in what we do inside of Allen to on the road. Like we've sat and had a lot of talks as a team, and I think just going on the road and just performing how we perform tonight, uh, I think we can get the job done every night. So yeah. That'll be the key moving forward. I will say, Samaya so Nichols arguably turned into the team's best player already, which is crazy. First on the team in points, assists, steals. She's second in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, third in free throw percentage, fourth in rebounds. So a uh, bright future for her. We also got to hear from Brandon Schneider, head coach for KU, after the game. Here's what he had to say. Coach, last year we had a lot of conversations about how you had one or two combo guards, but now it's like... Everyone you put in is super versatile and knows what to do no matter what position they play. What went into summer training and preseason? I think really just trying to develop some chemistry. Um, we had a lot of veterans. We were very old, very, old, very young. Uh, so trying to just um, develop some chemistry and, and mesh um, you know, all those pieces together. Well, building off that, this is the second game in a row you guys have found a lot of success in the paint, even with uh, Tiana Alper when Jordan the game. What do you think it is about this group of players, how they've just been able to combine and take that approach as a whole? You know, I think it varies from game to game. Um, you know, I, Iowa State is so well coached and, um, you know, very scout specific in, in how they defend. And um, you can't get caught up in, in taking the shots that they want you to take. You, you have to try to go get shots that are that are good for your team. And um, uh, with the exception of probably the, the early parts of the game, I thought we did a pretty good job of that. To kind of build on that, Deny coming in for as many minutes as she did, uh, seemed, seemed to hold her own against Audie Crooks quite, quite well. Yeah. What, what can you tell us about the way that she played tonight and what that means for this team? Well, you know, Crooks is a terrific young player, uh, one of the best freshmen in the country, and is going to be a problem in this league for a long time. And, um, you know, I thought uh, we, we, we decided not to, to bring any type of double team because we didn't want to give up threes. Uh, and I thought um, that I fought really, really well and um, did our best um, to play to the scouting report. Coach, what was the gist of the explanation of the double technical? <clears throat> um, just that, that that's what it was. Um, you know, the, the rule is if you commit a foul while the ball is not in play, it's an intentional foul. So we would get two shots um, and the basketball. Um, but again, and I haven't seen it on video, but the way it was explained to me is that, um, you know, maybe there was a foul and then a retaliation, uh, from, from Jackson. So they gave both of them fouls. Um, 
so strange um, strange uh, play there. Fortunately, we, we maintained possession. No one team got up to a lead larger than five. What do you think this game really came down to? I mean, executing in the half court, you know, there weren't a lot of fast break opportunities. Um, so it just boils down to, <clears throat> you know, being tough and gritty and, um, you know, making big shots and big free throws. Coach, could you touch on the impact Ryan Cobbins had, especially in the last? Uh, she was terrific. Um, we played her all over the place. Uh, when they were small, we played her at the five. She doesn't ever practice at the five. Um, you know, got big, big rebounds, hit, hit a big three in the first half that was timely, uh, big driving layup in the second half, and then the two free throws to, to ice the game. Um, you know, she was outstanding. Defend. Um, we got to defend. Uh, I think um, you know that's something that we've play, placed a lot of focus on in the last few days, and, and going into uh, this particular game and, and discussions about we're going to get this thing going the right way. And it's that's easy to say, but how do you go about doing it? And um, you do a better job defensively. All right, that was Brandon Schneider after KU's big win over Iowa State last night. They have a big one at Oklahoma this Saturday. You can hear that here on KLWN on Saturday evening. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. We got some Kansas State Chiefs talk and audio coming up on the other side. Head of the AFC Championship on RCST with KLWN. Depend on it. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney hops on with us at 5 o'clock. 5.05 to be specific. We have... Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider coming up from 6 to 7 o'clock. Then we'll have High School Sports Weekly airing from 7 to 8 o'clock. It's going to be happening live, though, High School Sports Weekly is at Mama's Tamale Shop, best authentic Mexican food in Lawrence on 9th Street from 6 to 7, and then airing on tape delay from 7 to 8 o'clock. We have High School Basketball on Friday. Veritas Christian hosting Mission Valley. If uh, pregame for the boys game at 7.20, tip off at 7.30, I'll be on the call of that with Craig Hershiser. Then on Saturday morning, we'll have your pregame coverage for KU men's basketball at Iowa State starting at 11 o'clock, tip off at 12.30 right here on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. KU women's basketball is back at it on Saturday after a big win last night over Iowa State. That one will be at Oklahoma Pre-game 545, tip-off 6 o'clock on KLWN. Sunday, also on KLWN, we have your Westwood One coverage of the AFC and NFC Championship games. All that coverage starts up at 1 o'clock, and you can listen through the weekend. So plenty of sports and activities and, and all sorts of great stuff coming at you uh, the remainder of the week here on KLWN. Kansas State played at Iowa State last night. That was a game that... I guess is the precursor for Iowa State before KU. They get a double dose of the Sunflower State this week in Ames, Iowa. And Iowa State was kind of dominating the game early. Then Kansas State came back, tied the game. Iowa State ended up pulling out in the end and came through with the victory. And uh, beyond the the game itself, they ended there up was, winning. There were some shenanigans. Yeah, there were. They ended up winning 78-66. The score was much closer than that. It was it was a one possession game. Yeah, it was it was 66 like to 62 yeah. with like two or three minutes left. I thought it was even closer than that. I thought it was like a one possession game with like two minutes to go. But anyway. Um basically what ended up happening is Iowa State was unhappy with this one foul call, and TJ Otzelberger got a technical. And then there was a moment where I can't remember if it was on the technical or if it was later in the game where T.J. Otzelberger, who is known for being one of those coaches 
that like leaves the box a lot. Right. Sure. He's working his way onto the court. He's working his way down the court. Yeah, because his 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 biceps are bigger than his brain. Yes. And Jerome Tang was unhappy with it, and he pointed it out to the official. And it looked as if I mean we couldn't see everything on the the TV broadcast what they were showing us, but it looked like Jerome Tang and T.J. Otzelberg were kind of like yelling at each other from across the way. And so then, then Jerome Tang later on. Yes. Fast forward, Kansas State. Um, they get a bad. Foul. Was unhappy with the fouls that were going against them, and overall for the game. I want to say Iowa State shot like a ton of free throws. They shot 39. Okay, yeah. So they shot 39 free throws yeah. compared to 23 for Kansas State, which I will say. Which, like, all things considered, that's a wide discrepancy, but I don't think that that's that uncommon of a discrepancy. Well, and the other thing here is this. Like, the whole idea of, oh, you shot more free throws than me, that shows that this game is rigged. No, it does not. Where in the rule book does it say the refs are supposed to officiate a way that both teams shoot equal amounts of free throws? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the rest were supposed to officiate who's getting fouled. Right. So maybe there were some you disagreed with. I don't know, but whatever. I, I think that's so funny. And then the whole idea of whenever like a team will play KU and, and they have a foul call that goes against them, they'll be like, oh, this always happens in Island Field. Dude, this happens in every team's arena. Yeah, well, this particular night of officiating but was, yes. was not good. So for, anyway, that uh, happened overall. And then they, they gave a T to uh, Jerome Tang, who yeah. was unhappy. And that, yeah, and the the, tea, the technical for Jerome Tang was actually in the final few minutes when it was still kind yeah, of a close it, game. Yeah, it was kind of an it definitely impacted the outcome of the game. I it think. did, and he was unhappy. And then you had the theater of when it happened, and they're showing the on the TV. They they have like the baseline view camera zooming into him over at the sideline, and so you can see him like talking to the ref and you know yelling but or whatever. More importantly, more importantly, you can you see, see the background the of the Iowa fans. State fans and the. Theater was involved of the Iowa State fans going pretty bananas. It was a a mismatch of everything you could imagine. There was fans taunting him. There was fans doing the crying like on your yeah, cheeks. That was your the fists. best one. That was the best um, one probably. There was I to me the most notable was the like seventy year old dude who was doing the teeth motion. Yes, right at him. <laughs> I'm not used to seeing. I don't know. Yeah, because you know, you look at you go to Allen Fieldhouse and, and yeah. Allen Fieldhouse, you know, the, like the older fans that are sitting be a little more respectful. They're normally more tame. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I go back and forth on that. On one hand, it's like, well, I guess like, I don't know, you gotta you're young at heart, like good for good for you. It's college sports, that's fun. There's another part of me that's like, hey man, listen, man. <laughs> when you're a well, member of AARP, maybe it's time to maybe it's time to I don't wow, know. You don't even so, know he's you don't even know his age. I assuming. don't, I'm just assuming. Wow. I, wow. Maybe when you're retired, it's time to settle down on looking like a child making fun of the opposing coach. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's maybe. just me. Well, maybe. listen. I mean, we we've, we've we've talked about this. Iowa State fans are, from the standpoint of like, oh yeah, go back booing, to the Melvin Weatherwax, right? Like yeah, like like booing the officials or being just crazy. They are the worst. Yes. Right? They boo every call, no matter what the call is. They boo. Doesn't matter. They are aggressive. They're li- and li- and listen. You know, if you want to be rowdy as a fan base, great. That's that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. Get loud. You know, use your home court advantage, right? But but to literally boo every single call <laughs> in the entire game it takes a, it takes some type of audacity. <laughs> it's 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 pretty remarkable. Pretty yeah, remarkable. I I just envision Iowa State fans as they go around everywhere they go. They're they're just they're they're 
just constantly inside. Booing they're constantly everything. booing things. They go yeah. to the grocery store. They're out of Honey Nut Cheerios. Yeah. They go up to the cinnamon the life clerk. is not on sale. Boo! Boo! <laughs> they just, you know, they go to a restaurant. The burger was was cooked a little too much. They, uh, can I talk to the chef? Boo! Boo! <laughs> that that's just that's just Iowa State. They just boo everything. That's that's what I'm. I mean, it's, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's they're relentless. Yes, it's pretty remarkable. And because of the fact that I think this game against Kansas State drew so much attention. I'm actually expecting it to be worse for Kansas rolling in on Saturday. Like, I think they're going to be more crazy, more aggressive, more booing, I guess. You think this got them Plus, riled up? This got them started? Well, absolutely. Plus, you add in the fact that Kansas has one of the most booable players. <laughs> but Booable? Is that a word? Is, Boo- one of yeah, the most booable, booable players in Hunter Dickinson. Is that going to help Hunter Dickinson? Do you think that's good? I think it probably will, yeah. I mean, it helped him. Against Indiana. He's going to try to egg them on. I feel oh, like for this, sure. this and the K-State games when, when they play oh, Manhattan. Yeah, 100%. He's going to be doing everything he can to. I yeah. feel like we haven't really gotten to see fully like we've seen, the villainy. Yeah, yeah, we've gotten. I mean, I guess the Kentucky, the taste. halftime thing. Like little little The halftime bit. thing against Kentucky. The Illinois there hasn't exhibition. been anything spe- that like, that's just celebrating. There hasn't sure. been anything specifically where I've been like, that's villain mode. <laughs> I I feel like this increases the chance of that happening. We're getting villain Saturday, mode here? For sure. For sure. So, do, so when we do our heroes and villains for the Iowa State game, we're gonna maybe have to put it them is on Hunter villains. Dickinson in a different way. Yeah. What if? What if? A, I just realized it. What if a player, as like the, as a joke to Iowa State, like they make an and one instead of like yelling and one when they do it against, they go to the crowd and they start booing the crowd, <laughs> give them a little taste of their own medicine. Would that be a? Would, would that, that be, be a technical? Tech? I don't know. I don't know either. Well, because you can't like. You can't taunt the other players, but can't you, you taunt, taunt the, the crowd? crowd? Maybe. They're not playing. I don't know uh-huh. how that works. Anyway, um, I do think it's interesting. Iowa State now 4-2 and two in, in Big 12 play. I will say this. Whoever won that game, I was going to start taking more seriously as a Big 12 title contender because in the in the case of K-State, I know they still have the same record as Iowa State, but I was, I was never as much after the non-con believing in them as much as Iowa State. And... Yeah. I think if they won that game, they would have been five and one with a win at Iowa State. That would have been very impressive. I would have start being like, okay, maybe we start taking them seriously here. But I don't know. The problem is maybe they're going to go get blasted at Houston now. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't. At help. Houston's their next game. Well, with Iowa State, they're sitting at four and two, and we were talking a bit about this off there. You're not a believer in Iowa State. I in Iowa State dude, being a, a, a legit league title. Dude, contender. it's a tale as old as time. I mean, how could you possibly fall for this? I mean, it's this only been the do. last two years. That's what they do every year. It's the last two years under Dude, TJ. The Alcibar. last two years, they've done it every year. Uh, that's not like that long of a, a track record, though. Here's it's enough thing. to where I'm starting to call. I'm starting to think it might be a trend, though, well, to where okay. they start hot and then <laughs> in the middle of conference play. If they lose this game to KU, I'm, I'm basically this win over K State for me is the precursor. If they beat Kansas. I am ready to say they are on the top tier with Houston for winning the Big 12. I know that sounds crazy, but here's why. Wrong. If they beat Kansas, they would be 5-2. and two, And if they beat Kansas, they would have wins over Kansas and Houston. And the schedule is a lot better for Iowa State than it is for Kansas. Kansas has to play home-and-homes with Houston. Home-and-home with K-State. Right, they have to play home-and-home with K-State. Home-and-home with Baylor. At Texas Tech, which is a very difficult place to play. Iowa State doesn't have to play a home-and-home with Kansas. They don't have to go to Allen Fieldhouse. Iowa State doesn't have to go to Lubbock. They don't have to go to Texas Tech. So, like, you avoid a couple of those, and maybe that's the difference. You know, maybe that's one extra win. Oh, it right? definitely could be. I mean, 
you know, I don't know that we've really necessarily fully dove into the unbalanced schedule talk, but it is very real. I mean, and that's part of it for them. I mean, especially right? for especially for the other teams that don't come down Fieldhouse. And so, if if they get to avoid that, if you don't come down Fieldhouse, you're basically you're taking a game right. that would have typically been an automatic L more than likely on your schedule, right? And now it's turned into if you're whatever whatever else game it is, fill in the blank. You have a chance. You have a much better chance to win. Yeah. And then on the flip side, if KU loses the game, you're four and three. And if it takes getting to thirteen wins to win the Big Twelve, you'd have to go nine and two the rest of the way. So Which that I, seems borderline impossible. I know. And so I I know this is only the seventh game of the Big Twelve season, but really to me, this one is as pivotal as it comes to winning the league for for both teams. Uh, two hours down, one to go. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with you. Nick Springer is getting ready for High School Sports Weekly. Go on out. It'll be happening live from 6 to 7 at Mama's Tamale Shop. We'll be airing it from 7 to 8 after the Brandon Schneider Hawk Talk again over at Mama's Tamale Shop on 9th Street. We're joined now by Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Brian, thanks for hopping on. And uh, uh, obviously with, I don't know, it was two months ago, a month ago, we were talking about the Johnny Furphy nicknames, some possible nicknames we wanted to throw out. And... Uh, I, I don't know. Now now that he's breaking out again, I, I feel like there's there's a renewed push in, in possible nicknames there. Have you settled on anything? Do, do you feel like there there's any good nicknames specifically now that, that maybe is the one that, that's sticking out about Furphy? You know, I loved the Wizard of Oz, which our buddy Nick Schwert was throwing around, and I tossed that out on a broadcast, gosh, six weeks ago, and a couple people told me they didn't like it, so I kind of went away from it. I've been saying the awesome Aussie on occasion, and uh, yeah, that's just alliteration and rolls off the tongue kind of nicely. But I'm not sure there's been a perfect one just yet. But if he keeps going for 23 and 11, it's going to present itself in a hurry, and it will be a household nickname across all of Big 12 Nation. Yeah, I mean, how important is his emergence becoming a starter? And I, I think when originally he went into the starting lineup, I think the first game was the Oklahoma game. He had, he had seven points and, I don't know, maybe a handful of rebounds. That's kind of what I was expecting. Like, okay, he's a starter. He's going to be a nice floor spacer. He'll play hard. He'll he'll make a nice impact here. What we've seen since then, though, isn't just complimentary player. It's you know one of the best players on the floor so far. How how he's played. You know, obviously, uh, it was a it was a hot start against West Virginia, and then maybe a bit of a tougher finish. But overall, and especially last game, it's it's pretty remarkable what he's doing. People are talking about him jumping on draft boards potentially. We've already had conversations here about. Oh, he's going to be the leading scorer on next year's team and all those sorts of things. Uh, what does this do for this team, his emergence? Well, first off, I think the draft board talk is premature. I agree. And a lot of a lot of folks on Twitter talking about that after a couple of games. And I love Johnny. I'm one of his biggest fans, and he's going to be a great, great pro. And we've said going back to August that he was probably the best pro prospect on this team, but that's not for the draft of 2024. That's whatever draft he eventually puts his name in. He's still got a lot of physical filling out to do and defensive improvement, as Bill Self talked about today, and learning how to trust his feet and give the opposition the right amount of space because at times he's been beaten off the bounce, or at other times he's sagged off too far to compensate for trying to guard a, a smaller, quicker guy, and then he's had a three-pointer hit over him. So there's still plenty of things to develop to where we probably need to slow the roll on the 2024 NBA draft board talk just for a little bit at least. But, uh, but yeah, certainly excited about what we've seen out of him. And I think what he's given Kansas as much as anything are two, two points. One, 
he is so active and so fearless in going after defensive rebounds, loose balls, offensive rebounds. I mean, what he lacks in his physical build, he more than makes up for in almost an Aussie rules football-like toughness to stick his nose in the middle of a play and, and fight with guys much bigger than him that are grown men, uh, you know, to get that loose ball and get that extra possession. And we noticed that from the, the get-go as soon as they made the, the lineup switch and he was getting more minutes. Maybe the best initial contributions were plays like that with his 6'9 height, and he says his wingspan is, is pretty much equidistant. So those long arms and that fearlessness, that's been huge. But then secondarily, the other big thing that I think he brings is when it was El Marco as your fifth starter, at least looking at Big 12 conference play with El Marco as your fifth starter, you really only had three and a half guys that were looking to score. And the half guy in this case is the one because some games he does try to be assertive. Other games he kind of lays back a bit. And you needed to have at least four guys that were hunting their shot and were a threat to go up with it every time they touched it to keep the defense off honest and to keep defense from clamping down around Hunter, to spread the floor, have better spacing. We've been begging for a three-point shooter all season long to spread the floor uh, ever since Nick Timberlake got off to a slow start. And so to see Johnny be able to do that but also score off the bounce, score in transition, more than anything, just be assertive, it makes the rest of the players on the court, I think, have an easier time of spacing and uh, room to roam quite frankly. So, so now you got four and a half guys looking to score. And if we can get Dewan to, to play to the optimal version of what we know he's capable of, then I think you go back to being that you know, top five team in the country type trajectory. And, and we were saying that on the broadcast on Monday. I saw Fran Fraschilla tweet the same thing, using that word trajectory on Tuesday. That Johnny, if you can bottle this up, it just puts Kansas on a whole different plane. And so instead of being a a tired team with one of your stars nursing a sore knee after five games in a 13-game stretch where the two senior All-American candidates are having to do all the heavy lifting. Now you got a little bit of help. And uh, on Monday night, it was more than a little bit. It was a lot of help. And I think that just makes everybody's life easier in that starting lineup. Yeah, and as, as far as it goes with the NBA draft, it, it honestly reminds me a lot of uh, Ochai Baji when they ripped the red shirt off and he came out right away. I think he had seven points, then ten points his first two games. I think by the time he was in his like seventh or eighth game, he, he was scoring 20 points every so often. And I remember at first people were like, oh, is he going to pop up on draft boards? And then I was like, okay, maybe maybe that was a little you know, too early. He ends up staying for four years. And obviously uh, you would take the Ochag Baji trajectory for uh, Johnny Furphy if, if that were the, the case in the comparison. So KU takes on Iowa State on Saturday. That one will start at 1230, pregame 11 o'clock right here on KLWN through the Jayhawk Radio Network. I... I hate using the term must win when it's not actually a must win. I think sometimes that gets overblown a bit and it's only the seventh game of conference play. So it sounds ludicrous to even bring this up. But when you look at the final 10 games of the big 12 season for KU starting in the month of February with next Saturday's game against Houston, you got to play Houston twice. You got to play K state twice. You got to go to uh, Texas tech. You got to play BYU. Who's really good in Texas. Who's starting to emerge a little bit. I mean, the, the schedule is in, insanely difficult. Baylor in a home-and-home, home too. I, I I can't help but stop myself from thinking, if you lose this game at 4-3, and three, let's say 13-5 and five wins the Big 12, which maybe it's less than that, you'd have to go 9-2 and two the rest of the way. So, I I don't know. I, I hate to, to put it into a box that tight and say this is a must-win if you want to win the league, but 
I kind of feel like it is in a weird way, which makes this game super important. So what to you comes to mind uh, in this matchup between Kansas and Iowa State on Saturday? Well, it's a gigantic game, no doubt. And Self, too, kind of bristled at the notion of calling it a must-win game. And the question asker, who opened by talking about KU's two losses on the road and does that make this game more important, he never used the term must-win, to be clear. But Self kind of took it there and said, you know, when you're playing in a season where your five starters are logging the bulk of your minutes and you start talking about must-wins in late January, he says, I don't think that's a script that's going to play out well for you because you can only dip into that well so often. And that's putting an awful lot on a game really early in the season when our peak goal is to just start to perform at our optimal level in March. So it's a gigantic game, but but he kind of he kind of paused and, and uh, went after the angle of the question. But the angle of the question that was asked of him, I, I think, is appropriate. And maybe rather than calling it a must-win game, it's a get-back type game. You can get back one of the games you left slip away in Orlando or Morgantown if you win this one. If you were to win in Houston, you can get back what you gave away at WVU or at UCF, if you catch my drift. So not must win necessarily, but your point is certainly well taken when you look at the gauntlet of a schedule in front of KU in the months of February and early March. But to me, maybe the term that Coach Self would would warm up to a little bit more than calling it a must win is it's a great get-back opportunity to to get one back. If we, we bogeyed an easy handicap hole, let's go birdie a tough hole and get it back, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it absolutely does. Now, Iowa State has one of the best defenses in the country. They force a lot of turnovers. We saw that be a problem in the the TCU and UCF games. But since then, KU has kind of turned it around with with some of the turnover numbers, no pun intended there. Uh, What to you feels like the keys or key to KU winning the names on Saturday? Well, it's a bit of a head-scratcher because you did have the two 18 turnover games back-to-back, and then they set the school record the next game with just two. But the other night, DeJuan Harris had five. And, you know, a lot of times when Coach has been asked about DeJuan's kind of peaks and valleys, he points to the fact that he's probably logging too many minutes, and some of that comes from fatigue. And I think that that's, that's probably the easiest way to explain it. But there's no doubt that, that DeJuan has a lot more to give than what we've seen at times this season. And uh, if this team's going to be a national title contender, you need that optimal version of DeJuan. So tomorrow, or Saturday, I guess I should say, he's really going to be tested. And uh, you look at the, the speed, the physicality, the, the explosiveness of this ISU backcourt, a guy like Taman Lipsy, who Bill Self says stuffs the stat sheet as well as any guard in the conference when you talk about over five rebounds a game, over five assists a game, 14-plus points a game, just a really complete player in his sophomore season from right there in Ames. Juan's going to have to step it up, and he's going to have to be careful with the ball. I remember a couple of years ago him having one of the best games of his Jayhawk career in the Hilton Magic in Ames. So I'm hoping he can draw from that experience because I think he'll be as key as any when you talk about what ISU does well and what's gotten us into trouble of late. So, I mean, it, it starts with that. But obviously you'd love to play from out in front. You'd love to uh, you know keep the home environment at bay, especially after everything we saw last night that was going on behind the K-State bench. You'd love to... You know, stifle them early with a hot start and, and lead this thing wire to wire. But that's obviously much easier said than done. So starts with taking care of the ball. Starts with giving them a taste of their own medicine and turning these guys over and getting some runouts off of our own defense. 
if you can do that, I think Kansas has a great chance because I do like our matchups in the post, and I do like Kevin McCuller on extra rest because according to Coach today in practice, uh, they finally got the starters back out there for the first time since Monday. They, they gave the starting five Wednesday off. They gave the entire team Tuesday off. So you're hoping some of those nicks, bumps, and bruises are healed up and you're a much fresher team on Saturday. Talking with Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks here on RCST. Uh, also got a chance to hear from Dan Fitzgerald today, the KU baseball coaches. They're right around the corner from the season. I know that's hard to believe after how cold it's kind of been here lately, but uh, really interesting recruiting class coming into the program. What's your excitement level for the start of the baseball season coming up here? Well, the excitement level is huge because back-to-back years of inking the number one junior college recruiting class in the country, that's not going to always be the focus necessarily. He said they're going to go for best available. But this last 18 months or so, when there's been such a shift in terms of recruiting focus to portal guys and still a heavy emphasis on high school seniors, it kind of opened up a lane that Kansas cruised into in the JUCO ranks where some guys were getting forgotten and Kansas pounced. I think John Coyne and Dan Fitzgerald and this entire staff do such a great job in talent evaluation and selling your program. And when you look at how they've restocked shelves in terms of arms and the depth and breadth of pitching on this staff, you got to be really pumped. And then you bring back all-conference guys like Reeder and, and Sojinaga and, and think about what this offense was a year ago and they tied the school record in homers and were so good on Friday nights with Colin Baumgartner on the mound. You have to replace him. But they feel like top to bottom, front to back, that the pitching is much deeper than it was a year ago, and they're in a great position to be much more successful. So really exciting. I told David Lawrence this earlier today when we were waiting for Dan to get up to the podium. I said, 10 or 12 years from now, we're going to talk about Travis Goff and the amazing hires he's made. And while Lance Leipold will still be king of the home run hires hit by Travis Goff, I think Dan Fitzgerald will be mentioned in a very similar breath because I think you're about to see an era where Kansas is in the NCAA tournament more years than not, has a chance to flirt with the Super Regionals, and maybe, just maybe, Fitz is the guy that gets to you back to Omaha for the first time since 1993. He's that good of a recruiter, and he's that great of a developer once they get him here. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be fired up about his program. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, before we let you go, word from Nate Miller. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Just as the Jayhawks have their game plan for Iowa State, Bill Self's got it all charted out. Nate Miller wants to sit down with you and chart out the best course to your most profitable and stable financial future. Whether you already have a portfolio of investments or you're just starting up, he'd love to sit down with you. So check them out today. MillerRetirementGroup.com. MillerRetirementGroup.com. Big fan and friend of Nate Miller. Thanks a lot, buddy. And hey, congrats to you. I, I congratulated you twice when you weren't in the studio of being a proud papa. Now I get a chance to actually tell it to you directly. So happy for you and uh, the entire Johnson family. Can't wait to, to watch you be just as awesome of a dad as you are a broadcaster. And you're one of my favorite broadcasters, so that's saying a lot. So hope it's uh, going well so far. I'm sure it is. You're going to be an all-American father, my friend. I appreciate that. Very kind words. Thanks again, Brian, and uh, have a great rest of your day, and looking forward to hearing you on the call Saturday. Thanks, buddy. Take care. We'll see you. All right, that's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. We're going to take a timeout. Parker Brown audio next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.